We're in verse 11, and we'll be through 20. Nehemiah 2, 20, 2, 11 through 20. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Senballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim to its historic right. Heavenly Father, may you bless the reading of your word. May it pierce our hearts. May it impact our souls. May we serve you with more fervor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, on your bulletin, um, and with the kids, anytime we open scripture, we... I always ask the kid, we do a little Bible breakdown. And so the test, and you'll see at the top of your bulletin that we're talking about, we have testament, we have uh, section, and we have theme. And uh, since I, I normally like to ask a lot of questions, that's my business. I ask questions to find out what somebody wants to buy. I ask, I ask, I ask. So I'm, I'm going to ask rhetorical questions today. And you are not mandated to respond. What testament are we talking about? We're talking about the Old Testament. That should imply in your mind that Christ has not been born, that the cross has not occurred, and that he has not risen from the, from the grave. So in this instance, we're, everybody who's the reader is looking forward to that cross. What section of the Old, Old Testament? We like to break the Old Testament down into four sections. The law, the historical, the poetical, and the prophetical sections. And right now we're camped out in the last book of the Old Testament historical section that moves the story along. So after this, we're going to have 400 years of silence. God is going to finish the wall through Nehemiah in this whole project. And then we're going to have 400 years of silence. And then Jesus is going to be born. So the historical section, there are themes that we like to go through with the kids. And boy, you ask any of the kids that have been through the Sunday school classes, what's the, the theme of the historical section? And they'll start out every theme of the four sections. God's sovereign and then the next is the key word for that section, God's sovereign preservation of a remnant in Israel despite her unfaithfulness. And so first of all, the whole scripture, this whole book, no matter what section you're talking about, is talking about God, God and his sovereignty. The next word was preservation. God is preserving a remnant in Israel. And we see that remnant in the book just prior to Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra was the man that came back through, the, the, through Cyrus, um, and he built the temple. And now we're here in Nehemiah. We've talked about Nehemiah a little bit. Um, so the question was, one, are the, has, 
Israel been unfaithful? The historical section of the Bible starts in, I have to change my speaker, starts over here in, uh, so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's your law, Joshua, all the way to Esther in the Bible, but chronologically Esther jumps in, in ahead of Nehemiah. So from, jo- uh, from Joshua to Nehemiah, the story is moving along, and as you think through those books, Joshua judges, was Israel unfaithful? Yes. First and second Samuel, did they pick a king in the human world because they wanted one? Yes. Did they need one? They already had God. But they wanted to be like the other nations. So first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you start seeing in the kings the cycle again of a good king and a bad king and a good king and a bad king. And yet all through that process, there was a remnant that God preserved of people that kept their hearts dedicated to the word of God Primarily at that time, that would be the law to the book of Moses. So were they unfaithful? Yes. Was God preserving them? Yes. Praise God. Okay. And as you look at your, your, uh, your bulletin, we're going to talk about three, three points today. It kind of breaks down very nicely from verses 11 through 16. We're going to talk about God's plan and its examination. And then the second point is going to be God's plan, communication. And finally, God's plan, opposition. And those are 19 and 20. Well, first of all, God's plan, examination. Whenever I teach with the kids, I say, okay, now we're in Nehemiah 2, 11 through 20. Who's this about? And they will always say, oh, it's about Nehemiah. We'll be talking about David and Goliath. Oh, it's about David. And I'm like, mm, kind of. It's kind of right. It's not about Nehemiah necessarily. It's always about God. This whole book is about God and God's plan to redeem the world, and how's he going to do it? So as you think about that, I want to, that concept, I want to kind of point out in this first section where we find out that this is about God. Look there in uh, 12. I, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart. This is not something that Nehemiah just woke up one morning and said, I got it. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go build the walls. This is what God had put, it, put on his heart. Go back into 2.8. We read this last week, about halfway through. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So this appears to be an early theme of, of this book, that God is in charge of the plan to build the walls of Israel. His instrument is going to be Nehemiah. God is sovereign. Those city walls were going to be built God put it on Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah went and built them. God was sovereign over the king in chapter 1. It says uh, he was the cupbearer to the king. That king was Artaxerxes. This is a real, real king. He's not somebody just made up for historical implications in this book, but he's a real king. And I'm going to show you two other real people, if I can. One would be... Everybody knows that guy? That's George Washington, our first. I'm going to put the queen in quotes just because our founders would roll over in their graves if I called him a king. But there's the first one. The second one, second one, everybody knows him. Just as everybody would know this third guy that lived back during these times. That's the best representation because we don't have photography. That's supposed to be Artaxerxes. And what I thought was important is I, as a father and I have children that go to public schools. But this is a great teaching time. 
your kids will learn about the Persian Empire. And what a great opportunity to take those Persian kings and now apply it to scriptures because your kids are not learning the Bible at the public schools. They're learning reason, experience, traditional authority. And so what we try to do at our house is include that Bible portion, that breadth that we talk about frequently, of your sources of knowledge, breadth, Bible, reason, experience, tradition. And so we add that in all of our discussions. I encourage you as fathers, as mothers, whenever you hear about world empires, that is not devoid of what happened in the Bible. Make those links very logically so that your kids know the Bible is real and true. So Artaxerxes, he was one of the major kings of, of Persia. And if God can change his heart to put into his plan, right? If, God, if Artaxerxes is sitting there and he didn't have it on his own heart to have the walls built, how much more can he change our hearts when he puts a plan on our hearts? Okay, the second who. Now you get the answer in the human world. First, first who was, was uh, God. The story is always about God. Second who is Nehemiah. He's using his instrument, Nehemiah. Go back to verse one, uh, chapter 1. The last verse says, I was a construction manager to the king. No, I'm sorry. I, a cupbearer, thank you. I must have a different... No, the Bible says that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And he's going to be given an additional job. Isn't that interesting? How many of us have our vocation that is set? But that's not necessarily the only way that God wants to use, our plan, use us in his plan. Okay, so what was, we, we, we call this section the examination, what was being examined? A couple times in, this, uh, in Nehemiah, it says in verse 13, examining the walls of Jerusalem, and what condition did he find them in? Which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. This also appears to be an early theme. Go back to 2.3. He says almost in the exact same words, uh, why should my face, when the king asks, asks him why his face was uh, sad, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Flow back up to uh, 1.3. Remember when, when we started, this was the brother of Nehemiah came and gave him this report about Jerusalem. Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have, burned, have been burned with fire. Why is that? Why did that occur? Well, at that time, the, the scriptures cont- contained the law. So let's go back into the law. Leviticus 26 if you flip there, that'd be great. This is a great chapter. It's a summation of everything. So God has given all the rules of, of sacrifices. He's given all the rules of how to approach him in the temple. He's given all these rules for the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And how does he sum it up? In Leviticus 26, the first half of that chapter says, if you obey, all this good will happen to you. I will, I will, I will. You can go through that and get a good sense of what the I wills from the positive standpoint are. So Israel, you obey, you got it. You got all this, and God's true to his word. Second half says, But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commandments, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, then I will. And it doesn't just stop there. Then it goes down in verse 18. If after all this, after this punishment, if you don't listen, I will I will punish. I will break you down. 
21 says, if after all this you don't do it, you don't come back to me, I will multiply your afflictions. I will send out wild animals. 23 says, if again, if you don't accept that correction, I will bring the sword. I will send the plague. 27 kind of sums it all up. If in spite of this you, do, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile to me, then in my anger I will be hostile. I myself will punish. I will destroy. And in 31 is the key. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries. Did God do that? Did God keep his word? You betcha he did. He used the Assyrians. He used the Babylonians. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed Jerusalem. And he dispersed the people. But there's hope. Just as in our personal lives, there's hope for our sin. There's hope for the nation of Israel. Go over to 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their father, their treachery against me and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile toward them, so that I sent them into the land, 42, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. That's the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. He will always remember his covenants, despite our unfaithfulness. Isn't that great news? We cannot do it. The Israelites could not do what this section of the Bible what God asked them to do through the law. They couldn't do it. Neither can you. Neither can I. But there's hope. Okay, so that's what was examined. That's why, and the, one of the points of point, reasons to point that out is because the Bible works together. God is true to his word from Old Testament law section to the Old Testament historical section. There are reasons that Nehemiah needs to build the walls. question for us at Eagle Bible Church is should we expect anything different? Does God still demand obedience to his word even today in 2009? Or is this an Old Testament concept that should go by the wayside? Well, our culture would say it should. We're here to say that it should not. In Eagle Bible Church, if we get off the word of God, we should expect nothing else as a community. Remember, this is a community punishment the, the community did not keep the law. They did not keep the Sabbath years. And so they got punished. They got dispersed. Okay, when? Flip back here. When did he do his examining? It's kind of instructive that he didn't just march into the city with the herald trumpets, you know, and say, ha, I'm here, we're building the walls. Everybody join. You're going to be the left wall, you're going to be the right wall, you guys do the meals, you guys... He didn't do that, did he? Now he came and he took his time to recover from the journey. I've felt that many t- a couple times in my life. Uh, and then he set out during the night. So this is a when and a how. He set out during the night with a few men. 13 says, by night he went out. And the officials did not know, down in 16... I had not told anyone what, I, what the Lord was going to do. That's back up in 12. Kind of instructive, isn't it? When God puts something on our hearts, how do we respond? We go out and tell the whole world, ah, I'm going to do this great work for God. Or do we slowly do it over time? Examine it. Examine. And why would he pick at night? 
because he knows back up in 11 there's already the inklings of opposition, right? I'm sorry, up in 10, when Sam Ballot and Tobiah heard somebody wanted to care about the welfare of Israel. So he did it at night. He did it mostly alone. He said he did it with a few men. I thought that that is a great concept. When I, when, when I have something to do, and it's like the Lord puts it on my heart, I'm married, so I go to Krista first. And then I have my inner circle, right? I go to my mom and dad. I go to my brother. I go to some of the guys here in this, in this flock. And I say, I think, God, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And Judd will be like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> but they'll encourage me. Think of Jesus. Who, who, were his, who was his inner circle? Yeah, he had the 12. He had the 12 disciples. But then he pulled from within them even. And he pulled Peter, James, and John. So he had an inner circle where he bounced back what the Lord was doing and what God was doing in his life as well. Kind of instructive. Who is your group? Who do you go to when God puts something on your heart? Because there are times that we could misunderstand what God's putting on our heart. And we need that accountability. We need those people to bounce it off of. Okay, so examination. God's plan, examination. Whose plan? God's. Who did the examining? The, the instrument of, that God is going to use, Nehemiah. He examined by himself at first. And this builds up to the second section. God's plan, communication. Let's read that section once more. Then I said to him, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. We talked about that. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Well, first of all, who are the recipients? Who are these they? Up in uh, 16, we didn't touch on it at, in that time, but the officials did not know where I had gone because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. That implies to the reader that there were people in Jerusalem we should ask ourselves, who were they and why were they there? If, if there was this big exile and, it was, and the people were dispersed, the temple was destroyed and the walls were destroyed, why are there people living there? Well, the scripture answers scripture. Go back into Ezra. Just a couple pages behind you. Ezra 2.64. All of 2 starts laying out these, these people specifically and by what tribe, but the summary is the whole company numbered 42,000 besides 7,337 men servants and maid servants, and they also had 200 men and women singers. So there was approximately 50,000 people already there. So who's the labor force for this building project? God has already provided them when he built, rebuilt, had the temple rebuilt. Those are the recipients. The message, what is the message? Rebuild the walls. It's time. We're, we're living in disgrace. When I was reading this, I thought this was fabulous, this next point. How was the message delivered? What, what was the methodology of Nehemiah giving this message? Did he say, man, the king just gave us a ton of letters that's going to give us resources to do everything? No. He started with God first. What a great concept for us living today. Do you have success in, your, in what you're doing in your, at your home or in, in your work, in your classroom, on the field? It's the success, success is not you driven. 
the success is allowed by God. That is how we should be communicating. When I get a sale, if I come running home to Krista, I'm like, yes, I just did it. We sold something. Right? Does that, what, what does that do? It's out of order. What communication does that give to Drew and Joshua and Elizabeth? The communication should always be God just helped us sell something. Right? Or put it in your world. God just helped me get an A on the test. Because without his power, my mind is mush. God first, and then us. And it wasn't even us, it was the king. (laughs) Right? You're thinking in that world, Obama just gave us something. Right? If I had direct contact with with the president, he just gave me something. Wouldn't that be, that would be amazing, right? We'd all be like, oh. But God allowed the president to give us something. Okay? So the question for application is how are we going to deliver the successes that we have in our lives? God first, then men's events. All right, this is really great. How did the people respond? God put the plan on on Nehemiah's heart. He allowed the king to give all the resources. Nehemiah delivered it just in a wonderful way. God first, then then the king. And what did the people say? Let's do it. It was pretty quick. Didn't take a lot of time, it doesn't look like. This is not to to intimate that you're not allowed to ask questions when communication is given to you. But in this instance, the focus is on the response of the people, and this is a good response. This is one of the two responses to the gospel message, right? It can be positive. People can accept it and and run with it. And then the, the scripture says, and they began the good work. Why is it a good work? Because it's God's work. It's a good work because God had the plan. Okay, so that's the communication. Nehemiah did it to the people that were already in the, the, the city, Jerusalem. They responded well. And the question for Eagle Bible Church, since this is a community concept, right? The, the community in Jerusalem got to respond to the message. It's a community discussion here. How does Eagle Bible Church respond to God's plans that he lays at our feet? And I'm here, as part of the leadership, I'm here to tell you, 99% of the time we do fabulously. We put out in the summer, we thought vacation Bible school was what we should be doing. Wouldn't you know it, within about, what, seven days? Was it even seven? Somebody volunteered to lead that ministry. We had another event a couple weeks ago. Everybody in this whole body was jumping in to help. This body responds well to the needs of this community, to the plans that are laid out by leadership. And for that, you should be commended. The hedge in 95% is not because there's 5% that I can point to directly. It's just an encouragement that we're not done. The work at Eagle Bible Church is not done, and we need to stay faithful. God is not done with our community. So the communication. We first talked about God's plan examination. Examine the plans that God puts on your heart. We talked about communication. Communicate well. God first, then us. Point three, God's plan opposition. Can I give you the application first? Expect it. It's coming. Opposition will come. Now let's read the scripture. 
But when Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right. We've made allusion to it earlier, but up in 2.10, we've seen these rascals before. They started small. They're raising their level of anti-God's word. So let's go up to 2.10. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, first they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. In our, in our passage, what are they doing now? Now they're mocking and ridiculing. Flow over to 4.7. These guys don't, won't stop with just verbal assaults. Down there in uh, 8, well, at the end of 7, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against uh, Jerusalem and stir up trouble. These guys aren't going away. Your opposition will not go away. We feel it when we were in high school. We feel it when we get to college. We feel it when we graduate. When we're in the jo- our first job. Second, third, fourth jobs, <laughs> as the case may be. It never ends. Get used to it. Gird yourself up. Stick your nose in the scriptures. Know what they say. Because the scriptures, God's word, will, uh, what's the verse we learned as kids was uh, Psalm 119. Um, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The scriptures are our only safety net. Okay, so expected. I kind of stole my thunder, but it's and and this is this is the negative response to the gospel message, right? There's always two two responses anytime we preach the gospel. People are going to accept it. That the community did that well this time, and the people are going to reject it. And this rejection comes from outside the community, the Israelite community. They have historical uh, rejection of Christ through the Arabs. That, that, that group would be the, the group that was not elected. That would be Ishmael. So he was not the elected son of Abraham. The Ammonites, they've been persistent pests all throughout this historical section of, of Scripture. Think of Balaam. They were the guys that went to get Balaam to preach prophecy against the Israelites. So it's been ongoing for, for, for many centuries there. But now it's a personal decision. These guys are opposed to the, the plan of God. Have you felt opposition? When you get something, God puts something on your heart. It's easy, isn't it? Remember what we were praying. Um, praying, we wanted people to get to the marriage conference, right? That's going on this week in in Vail. We really wanted them to get there, and we would pray that God would take away the excuses that we would have, right? As men, we can say, "Well, we, I got this and that, and I've got to go to work, and I've got things to do. It's going to ruin my weekend." Quote unquote. Ladies, you could have looked at it and said, "Well, I've got childcare. Got to figure that out. Really trust somebody." There's lots of impediments, lots of impediments that we can come up with. And that should be applied to our prayers. When, we, when God puts something on our heart, we should pray that God protects us from the, the impediments of the evil one. Fabulous response by Nehemiah. Wow, what a man of faith. The God of heaven will give us success. <laughs> no question whose plan, Right? Fabulous. May that be our response, individually and corporately. 
the God of heaven will give us success. Okay, so we talked about God's plan. Examination. God's plan. Communication. God's plan. Opposition. We'd be remiss. We've talked about some of the attributes of God. We've talked about man. Can't do it, right? God gives the law. You can't do it. We've talked about the two possible responses. The only piece that's missing from this gospel message is what? The only thing that makes us different from a Jewish synagogue would be that Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, why does God care about these walls of Jerusalem? What's the deal? Why does God care about the walls of Jerusalem? Why did he care about the temple? Kind of easy to figure out, right? It's a, he, it's a, it's a religion. It's the center of the religious uh, Israel. But why does he care about the walls? Why does Nehemiah say, well, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace? Let's flip back to Second uh, Chronicles 12.13. Second Chronicles, still in the historical section of the Old Testament. Very instructive second half to a, you know when you were your kids and you learned you couldn't learn whole sections of a, of a, of a verse and so there was Second Chronicles 12a and 12b. This is the B section. Okay, so we're talking about King Rehoboam here. He was the king after Solomon. He was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. Here's the key part. The city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. We're in Second uh, Corinthians 12:13b. I'm sorry, did I say Corinthians? Chronicles. I'm worse than the kids going through <laughs> books of the Bible. I put the Corinthians in the Old Testament, the Chronicles. All right, so Second Chronicles 12:13. The city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put His name. How cool is that? That's why it matters. The Lord put his name there. So what are the Babylonians, what are the Assyrians, what are the Persians thinking when, when there's no wall around Jerusalem? They're thinking their God is better than Yahweh, the God of the Bible. So, the, so we know that's not true, right? We know the God of the Bible is now changing the hearts of the Persians to build the temple. That's one part. Part two, he's changing the, the king's mind and allowing the people to build the walls of Jerusalem. That's part two. Why? So that the king of kings and the Lord of lords can come and reign. Jerusalem is the future home of Christ the king. And you know what? He entered. He came the first time. Mark, Mark 11, if you flip over there called the triumphal entry. So the walls do get built. The temple is built. And what's it waiting for? It's waiting for the king to arrive. Does that happen the next week? So the project's done. We got the king. Does it happen the next year? Project's done. We're the king. We're ready. <laughs> Not the next year. Not the next hundred years. Not the next 400 years. 450 years or so after the wall is done. The city is ready for the king. Who shows up? Mark 11. 
uh, up in three. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord's, Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. Flow down to nine. Those that went ahead and those that, who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The king came. Were the people ready? No. Go down to verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. You see how those two projects are tying together? The walls of Jerusalem, the temple, tying together. The king and our high priest is coming. He came, he looked around, but, but since it was late, he, he left. The king came. The people weren't ready. May that not be the case for us. May we be ready for the king when he comes. Because he will come. If God can change Artaxerxes' heart to care enough about the walls of Jerusalem, if he can change the cupbearer's heart to stop being a cupbearer and do something totally out of his element, how much more can he change our hearts? How much more can he use us? That's a that's a big deal. Eagle Bible Church, we have a purpose. Affect the valley for the kingdom of God. That goes individually. We each have a responsibility. Stick our noses in the word. Know it. Expect opposition. Communicate it. I did this out of order. But it's coming. Get out there. Let's get out there and do it. Examine. Communicate. Expect opposition. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good to us. Not because we have many things, not because our bank accounts say X dollars. You are good to us because you've given us life. You've given some of us spiritual eyes to see you for who you really are. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who one day will reign in Jerusalem from the throne as the king that you already are. And at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, for those that don't know you yet, we pray passionately for their souls. Be gracious and merciful to allow them to understand who you are, what you've done for them, and that Jesus is the answer. May we be faithful to you until the day that you send Jesus back to this earth. We pray that we would display the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And may this flock continue to seek you to act according to the plans that you put out there for us, that we would be unified in communicating the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us... Give us the peace and the courage that when opposition does come, that we will stand up against it. And when we don't, may we be quick to ask for forgiveness and seek your power. In Jesus' precious name, amen.